I'm Marianne Kolbisak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Dana Penny, Chief Compliance Officer at the New Jewish Home, a healthcare system in New York serving seniors, and Jerry Blass, President and CEO of Consultancy Comply Assistant, about security steps that healthcare entities should be taking to improve their disaster preparedness as the result of the COVID-19 pandemic and in light of other possible disasters. So Dana, for starters, as we know, nursing homes and other facilities that care for older patients have been hit especially hard during the COVID-19 pandemic. Very briefly, tell us a little bit about your healthcare organization and what special security and privacy considerations that you had to take during the pandemic. It was definitely a challenge. I mean, it's still a challenge. Now uh, we're down to, we don't have any more cases, which is great. But during the height of the New York emergency, there were, you know, we had quite a few. Uh, We have two Skilled nursing facilities, one in 500 beds, one in 300 beds. We have an assisted living facility. We have several independent living apartments, and we have home care services and daycare services. So there were a lot of challenges coming in. I mean, the biggest issue, as Jerry and I have spoken about this in other places as well, is the idea that in a normal emergency, like a hurricane or a blizzard, you're worried about getting staff physically to the location. It's all hands on deck. In this situation, Well, one of the things we had to take into consideration was limiting the number of staff that we had. So we had to enhance our communications in order to enable people to work from home, to work remotely, work from other sites, and to be able to make sure that we could talk to each other and track all different kinds of things that we never tracked before. So from the privacy and security stuff particularly, the major issues would be communication with families. So we had to, we did a whole lot of work with video conferencing and like Skyping, Skype call type of technology so that the, the residents could be in communications with their families and, the, and their families could feel that the residents were okay because those are the, really the hardest thing is that it was very difficult to get through to people. And especially one of the things that we had to do and other nursing homes particularly had experiences as well, we were constantly having to move people around, shuffle people around in order to keep those who had not been infected away from those who had been infected. And we wanted to keep people as far as apart as possible. So we had to lessen the number of, so people had private rooms and we had to spread people out in a community in an area that they would feel you know, was theirs at, at that point that was unfamiliar surroundings for them. So, so those kind of things from a security perspective, you know, we had to make sure that the iPhones, the iPads, the Alexa shows, all those kind of things, the technology that we were using, were not in any way interfacing with our normal network. Luckily, we already had a secondary wireless network that didn't go anywhere near our regular you know, business network. And I think that that's one of the things that people are going to find challenging, especially in big buildings where you don't have good cell phone connectivity you're going to need to be on on, uh, wireless internet in order to get any kind of good reception in a lot of buildings out there. So making sure you have a separate network is especially important. Um, The other issue is with things like telehealth or new other types of technology that we use in order to just try and speed things up, right, in order to make things more efficient. Those were challenging to access and then implement, you know, train people. 
the other security issue that I think we really had a big issue with was these spamming, spamming attacks all over the place. And people still, even today, we were dealing with one today. So we were just getting a whole bunch of emails from the people were like, is this real? Is this not real? Do I click on it? Do I not click on it? And when you're having a challenge just talking about patient care, people are not paying for what they've got. So those are the types of things that we're dealing with. Jerry, when working with healthcare clients, what unexpected disaster preparedness planning issues involving security and privacy issues did the pandemic expose or spotlight with the other clients that you work with? Dana has touched on a number of great thoughts about what happened, his experience, and to us, it's always been a numbers game. What I mean by numbers is the number of locations of PHI, PII, and even business confidential data. So whenever there's an increase due to technology, or in this case, an enterprise emergency, where data touched upon the fact that they had to quickly implement telecommuting, telehealth, right in the middle of the pandemic, you know, and we're still only really five to six months into this, and all the healthcare organizations had to quickly shift for remote workers and also remote treatment and telehealth. This created more numbers. And to us, as a company, when we audit our clients from an information privacy and security standpoint, we one of our exercises is to look at categories of locations of PHI, as an example. So categories, you know, we have a list and we go through every single every single one. Your network, your servers, your workstations, public facing workstations, laptops, other types of mobile devices, copiers, Wi Fi, etc. So now add to the list the fact that a big percentage of the workforce is working remotely and also there's a lot of telehealth going on. And so the really the um, impact of us as a company auditing our clients in that regard hasn't really started yet because we're still kind of in the middle of this. But there will come a time at some point where healthcare organizations are going to want to have somebody come in and take a look at what they did and what that means to a security, from a security standpoint, how well was the information being protected through the real quick reaction changes in communications that occurred, as Dana touched upon. That's what we're seeing, and that's what we think is going to happen down the road, is that we'll be involved in expanding the scope of our audits around privacy and security to include everything that's happened during this pandemic. I think there's one of the areas that I think touches on everybody is that when you're in an emergency situation, no matter what kind of emergency it is, there's a lot of improvisation going on, a lot of good ideas being tried out, but one of the things that will get you every time when somebody else looks at you is, well, how did you document that? How did you decide to do that? Who made that decision? Where is the policy that reflects that? All that kind of thing becomes very important um, and very difficult to do in the heat of the moment. And I think that we've been able to take time, you know, since it's, it's eased up here in New York as it's heated up elsewhere in the country. And I hope that our experience helped feed there so that they were better prepared this than, than maybe us folks in New York, New Jersey, New England, where we got hit first, or hit earlier, I should say. So that lessons learned idea and being able to look at yourself during this particular emergency and say, what could we have done better? What did we do that was great? What did we do that we just went ahead and did it and we really can't afford and now we got to pivot a little on that? Um, those are all the kind of questions that we need to be asking ourselves. 
so Dana, with that said, what lessons have been learned so far by your organization from the COVID-19 situation about disaster planning and preparedness that you think can be applied or expanded to prepare for other potential disasters or unexpected business continuity events, whether it's a hurricane, ransomware attack, or continuation of the pandemic? I think it's one of the key things in healthcare, and it doesn't matter which, which part of it, you're, which sector you're in, it's about staffing. It's ultimately human services. And so making sure that your staff is doing everything they can to make sure that your staff is safe, that your staff can communicate with each other so that you don't have any breakdowns that lead to poor care. And that can happen in any kind of disaster. In fact, it's more likely to happen in a hurricane or a tornado situation or you know, wildfires. Every time people are actually displaced, then communication becomes you know, very, very critical. Where are my patients? Where are my staff? Are they safe? How do I get a hold of them? These kinds of things you need to look at. Even simple things like we, we went through, a, it was just a, a, a relatively short outage on our internet connection, basically our internet connection, between our different sites. And there were no phones, there were no computers. And like I mentioned, the cell phones weren't working because the, because the way the building was built so much metal and concrete, they weren't working. And one of the things we learned from that was better have what they call POTS phones, plain old telephone systems. Have a few of those lying around. Have a PC that just, well, it, it's not connected. It, it gets information from the network, but it can operate on its own so that you, you can maybe find out some information about your patients if your connections go out. A small system that can run on your uninterrupted power supply or your generators. Those kind of things about preparing and, and experiencing things and then saying, oh, let's look back and see what we could do better. Oh, yeah, that's what we could do better. We could communicate better if these people had the correct communication tree, if these people had the correct tools to use under those circumstances and to try and game those out. I think there will probably be a bit more and better tabletop and gaming sessions going on across the country after this when we realize that this is really an emergency situation what an emergency situation really means to the healthcare industry. So now, Jerry, same question, more or less. Based on the lessons emerging from the clients that you're working with during this COVID-19 situation, what disaster planning and preparedness lessons have they been learning and you've been learning that can be applied or expanded to prepare for other potential disasters, whether it's a hurricane or a ransomware attack or, again, a continuation of this pandemic? So I think key is training for the workforce. Uh, they need to be aware of, you know, you have fishing tests done continually. Just like over the past five to six years with the increase in technology due to meaningful use in healthcare, increase the migration from hard copy medical charts to electronic, and in doing so opened up again more potential locations of PHI and attackers knew that security was not fully implemented as well as the technology in the beginning. And so they saw the fact that they could threaten vulnerabilities and they went after it. As a result, we saw increases in um, attacks, breaches, uh, ransomware. And so, you know, the healthcare industry has introduced uh, phishing tests and educating the workforce. And now we have even more reasons because of COVID the attackers are really trying to take advantage of the uh, emergency pandemic 
situation where the focus is really operational. It's really about, you know, the patients, the residents of nursing homes, like, and everything Dana has touched upon, staffing and making sure that, you know, the remote workforce is able to, to work and telehealth. So, again, it's, it's the same scenario of where the changes that have occurred have given more motivation to the attackers and we're therefore seeing more attacks. And so training is key. The workforce has to be made aware through, you know, exercises of making sure that you do not click on suspicious emails, even to the point of putting a, uh, a logo on emails that are not suspicious internally so that the workforce knows if they don't see that logo, do not click. Uh, so it's really taking steps to do whatever you can uh, in this time of emergency to keep everybody aware of how they can protect health information. It's not an easy task, but that is key, amongst everything else. Thanks, Dana and Jerry. I've been speaking to Dana Penny and Jerry Blass. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.